Welcome aboard the USS Little Hero NCC 73117. I'm Captain William. And I'm Commander Vicky. And if you will step right this way, historians, we will go to Hotel Deck 3, where you will learn the next step in the history of Starfleet with the NCC 1701 Enterprise and the adventures of Captain Kirk and his, his faithful crew. Vicky, can you take us to the coordinates where we're supposed to be for this? Aye, aye, Captain. Vicky's Adventures into Star Trek. I'm William. And I'm Vicky. And today we are doing Season 1, Episode 28, The City on the Edge of Forever, Ever, 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 Ever. So, Vicky, would you like to tell everybody, would you like to tell everybody where they can find us? Uh, sure. You don't remember. You've forgotten over the last three weeks. Google Podcast, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Republic Radio, Stitcher, Pocket, or Castbox, mm -hmm. Spotify, Apple Podcast, and Anchor. Where it all began. You can contact us at Vicky's Adventures in a Star Trek at gmail.com or Facebook, Vicky's Adventures in a Star Trek. And William, what can they do at www.vickystartrek.com I don't know. Why don't you tell me? Merch shirts. Right. Which we are currently in the process of changing them completely to something different. I ordered one and it did not come back the way I wanted. I'm still wearing it, but, you know, it didn't come back the way I wanted. I wanted, one, like, one big picture all the way around, but... That wraps around, yeah. Yeah, but that didn't happen. They put it in little, like, squares. So, Vicky, season one, episode twenty-eight, "The City on the Edge of on the Edge of Forever." What did you think was going to happen in this episode today? 
The crew of Enterprise Captain Kirk finds a new planet that's almost extinct. Wrong. Close, but no cigar. So yes, they did find a new planet, but no, it's not extinct. Or close to extinct. So it says here, suffering from an accidental overdose of cortisone, Dr. Leonard McCoy goes back to 1930s Earth, forcing Kirk and Spock to go after him and prevent the Enterprise and the Federation from being erased from history. All right. So before we get into this, I do want to apologize to everybody. Um, after Christmas, things got very hectic. Uh, I actually had to go out on my normal days off and run because we were trying to give my coworker three days off for him, and it didn't work out. And then I got stuck due to wet winter weather conditions in Wyoming and had to make up those days. And last weekend we were very, very busy and did not because our back porch, the roof is starting to come in because... Uh, it's got a leak, and we are waiting for them to come and fix it, but we had to empty out the back room in order to get everything so it's ready to be fixed. Right. So we are extremely sorry. Things did not go as we planned. You know, um, we are back, and hopefully we'll be able to get this stuff taken care of. Dun, dun, dun. It's only two, it's only two episodes, then the movie... Then we start season two with a muck time. And William, what's the movie? Treasure Planet. <laughs> Alrighty, are you ready for this one? Onward and upward. Do you want me to tell you, or do you want them to tell you? You know what? Why don't you let them tell us this time? Okay. Control circuit threatening to overload, Captain. Understood, Engineer. Spark. Yeah, one of these areas of turbulence. I believe we'll have them plummet in a few more orbits, Captain. And Sue, they just got her bridge. Uh-oh. Switching to manual, Captain. Do we maintain this orbit? His console blew up. This is of great scientific importance, Captain. You're actually passing through ripples in time. Maintain orbit. So did you get that? Yes, they're, uh, it's, they're passing through ripples in time. That's what the turbulence That's is about. That's correct. Hi there. Open the channel. Starfleet Command. Precautionary measure, Lieutenant. Broadcast to Starfleet Command my past week's log entries, starting with the unusual readings we had on the instruments and how they led us here. Inform Starfleet Command that apparently something or someone down on this planet can affect changes in time, causing turbulent waves of space displacement. Some heart flutter. Better risk a few drops of cordrazine. So right there, he just did two of them real quick, which was a heart flutter, 
And for those who don't know what it is, a hot flutter is an abnormal rhythm that occurs in the aorta or ventricles of the heart. Cortisone was used to treat this condition. Uh, it says here in 2267, Dr. McCoy diagnosed and reviving Khan Nunian Singh with heart flutter and warned that it could that he could die in seconds if they don't get him out of this cryogenic stasis. Right. So. So that's cortisine. Well, what he's about to give him is cortisine, which cortisine it was a strong chemical stimulant useful for emergency medical treatment. It was primarily used to stimulate the heart during cardiac arrest. The drug was a red liquid that was injected with a hypospray. In 2267, Captain Kirk noted that cortisine was tricky stuff in this episode. But by the 24th century, it had become ubiquitous and was being used by physicians in much higher doses than in Kirk's day. It's tricky stuff. You sure you want to risk? You were about to make a medical comment, Jeff. Who, me, Doctor? We're guiding around most of the time, Ripples. No, Captain. This is fine. All plotted but one, Captain. Coming up on it now. Seems to be fairly heavy displacement. I just put all that cortisine in his butt. Oh, that oh. Thank you, physicians. The hypo, Captain. Receptor for cortisine. Empty. Communications, emergency medical team. Especially if they're your medical physician. Because they know exactly where to hurt you. Continue alert. Next, 4 through 11. The medical department knows as little as we do. In dosages approaching this, there's some record of wild paranoia. Learned by the library record tapes, Captain. Subjects failed to recognize acquaintances, became hysterically convinced that they were in mortal danger and were seeking escape at any cost. Extremely dangerous to himself or to anyone else who might... Fred, security, alert. 
Bridge here, go ahead. Security, 054, sir. We just found a transporter chief injured. Captain. Dr. McCoy has beamed himself down to the planet. And the transporter at that time, Captain, was focused on the center of the time disturbance. So whatever's down there, but McCoy is in the heart of it. Set up a landing party. They never say. So just in case anyone didn't hear, because I'm still working on setting up this mixer properly. Vicky asked what planet this is. We don't know. They never say what the planet is. And looking at what I'm looking at now, um, uh, even that doesn't tell me what planet it's on. So, it's just a planet we don't know. We just, yeah, we don't know. It's somewhere in the Milky Way galaxy in the Alpha Quadrant. In the Alpha or Beta Quadrant, or at least the Alpha. Sir. And of considerable age, on the order of 10,000 centuries old. is impossible by any science I understand. It is operating even now. Putting out waves and waves of time displacement, which we picked up millions of miles away. Landing party to Enterprise. No sign of Dr. McCoy. Search progressing. Incredible power. It can't be a machine as we understand mechanics. And what is it? A question. So, before your son burned Hawkins. Before we go any further. Yes. For those who are now or have not watched Discovery yet. Okay. Apparently, this object makes a comeback in Discovery. Okay. Now, that being said, I do not know anything about the episode. I have not watched it. Um, that's all I really know. You haven't watched Discovery, have you? I watched season one. Okay. But I, that was a, a while ago when I was with, with, with when I was with my ex and what I thought was my son. Uh -huh. um, when he was up a couple of times during the night when Discovery first came out. The only thing I could get to calm him down and take and put him back to sleep was to watch Discovery. Gotcha. So, yeah. 
Uh, but I do know from some of the commercials I have seen and from what is showing here on Memory Alpha, it does come back in Discovery. Okay. And before your race was born, I have awaited a question. What are you? I am the Guardian of Forever. So this is the Guardian of Forever. <clears throat> so it's older than the universe. Right. And it will be older than the universe forever. Is it a machine or is it... It is both and neither. As you will find out. Okay. It says here, the Guardian of Forever... The Guardian of Forever was a mysterious construction, a construct of an unknown ancient alien race which functioned as a time portal a gateway to a time vortex that allowed access to other times, locations, and dimensions. It was located on an ancient planet where the focus of all its timelessness throughout uh, timelines throughout at least the Milky Way galaxy covered. It was positioned among the eventual ruins of a large forgotten city that scratched be stretched beyond the horizon in all directions around it. Based on illustration, uh, initial observations, the ruins appeared to be at least one million years old. The Guardian said that it was o far older than that, even exceeding the Earth's sun age at 4.6 billion years. Gotcha. At, at the time in 1966, it was about that much. About that. About that much. So this thing has been here for God only knows how actual long, you know. Right. Knows all, sees all kind of deal. Are you machine or being? I am both and neither. I am my own beginning, my own ending. I see no reason for answers to be couched in riddles. My answer is simply as your level of understanding makes possible. <laughs> Smuggler did something. A time portal, Captain. A gateway to other times and dimensions, if I'm correct. As correct as possible for you. Your science knowledge is obviously primitive. Really? A noise box? Behold. A gateway to your own past, if you wish. So a lot of stuff is passing through this opening of different times in our history, like Rome, Egypt, stuff of that nature. Right. From back when Caesar and, uh, uh, God, what is, uh, the Queen of the Nile, uh, what was her name? Cleopatra. Cleopatra, thank you, my dear, uh, ruled the earth, you know, as it were. I just found a coin. I'll kill you first! Kill you! Assassins! Murderers! Killers! 
And Spock knocked him out with the Vulcan neck pinch. Spock! If that is a doorway back through time, could we somehow take Bones back a day in time, then relive the accident? This time be certain that the hypo-accident is avoided. speed with which the centuries are passing, Captain. To step through on precisely the day we wish. Guardian. Can you change the speed at which yesterday passes? I was made to offer the past in this manner. I cannot change. Strangely compelling, isn't it? step through there and lose oneself in another world. I'm a fool. A tricorder is capable of recording even at this speed. I've missed taping centuries of living history which no man before has ever... Dr. McCoy! Bones, no! And Bones is gone. Where is he? He has passed into... What was? Captain, I've lost contact with the ship. I was talking to them. Suddenly it went dead. No static, just nothing. Kirk to Enterprise. Scotty. Nothing wrong with the communicator, sir. Your vessel, your beginning. All that you knew is gone. McCoy has somehow changed history. You mean we're stranded down here? With no past, no future. Captain, I'm frightened. Earth's not there, at least not the Earth we know. There's a lot of factors of we don't know what could, would happen if you were able to travel into the past. Right. And with a lot of people, their nature of I can change things and make things better for me would kick into them when they were in the past. Right. So a lot of stuff, you, you could change anything you want to in history and nobody would know it by the time the future came back. Right. So... Who is to say whether it would be for the better or for the worse? But, to me, if you were going to go into the past, you don't change crap. Period. Right. As log, no star date. For us, time does not exist. McCoy, back somewhere in the past, has affected a change in the course of time. All Earth history has been changed. There is no starship enterprise. We have only one chance. We have asked the Guardian to show us Earth's history again. Spock and I will go back into time ourselves and attempt to set right whatever it was that McCoy changed. I was recording images at the time McCoy left. 
rather barbaric period in your American history. I believe I can approximate just when to jump, perhaps within a month of the correct time. A week, if we're fortunate. Make sure we arrive before McCoy got there. It's vital we stop him before he does whatever it was that changed all history. Guardian, if we are successful, then you will be returned. It will be as though none of you had gone. Captain, it seems impossible. Even if you're able to find the right date... Then even finding McCoy would be a miracle. There is no alternative. Spock's right, there is no alternative. Scotty. When you think you've waited long enough, each of you will have to try it. Even if you fail, at least you'll be alive in some past world somewhere. Aye. Seconds now, sir. Stand by. Good luck, gentlemen. Happiness at least, sir. When they come out, there's a poster behind them that says Madison Square Boxing on it. Right. Mike Madsen versus somebody else. I couldn't see <coughs> that well. I've seen old photographs of this period. An economic upheaval had occurred. It was called Depression. Circa 1930. So what they're talking about is the Great Depression. Right. The Great Depression was a period of economical and social upheaval in the United States of America in the 1930s. Many, many people became unemployed and homeless. The period was described as quite barbaric by Spock. The ministry, misery of the Great Depression was a backdrop for James T. Kirk's visit to the 1930s. An overdose of cortisone had rendered Leonard McCoy temporarily insane, and McCoy had fled through the Guardian of Forever, altering the past in a way that eliminated the Federation from the timeline. Pursuing him, Kirk and Spock also journeyed to Earth's past. They're encountering social worker Edith Keeler, though Keeler so Keeler, they were eventually reunited with McCoy. Kirk also fell in. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave that. I don't want to spoil too much. Right. Sorry. Sometimes I get ahead of myself. Quite barbaric. Looks like uh, the other person on there was Kid McCook on that poster. We seem to be. Costume a little out of step with the time. I'm afraid I'm going to be difficult to explain in any case, Captain. Well, Mr. Spock, I think we will find some way of <laughs> explaining it. That should prove interesting. Right. That's what it says on the poster. Right. Let's get out of here. 
will you? Why don't you watch where you're going? Hey, season, close up on a... Theft, Captain? Uh, fire. Well, escape. we'll steal from the rich and give back to the poor later. I think I'm going to like this century. Simple, easier to manage. We're not going to have any difficulty explaining. <clears throat> That's kind of weird because, so, Spock, just before Kirk completely came off that ladder, looked back, looked back at Kirk. Why didn't he see the cop? I don't know. I don't know. Because the cop looks like he's been standing there for well, a little bit. you're a police officer. I recognize the traditional accoutrements. You were saying you'll have no trouble explaining it. My friend is obviously Chinese. My friend is obviously Chinese. I see you've noticed the ears. They're actually easy to explain. So do you know what city they're in? No. So it says here, they arrived in New York City, circa 1930. Which That's is kind of interesting, because I, I, never, I never knew. Just a city in the U.S. somewhere. Right. Perhaps the unfortunate accident I had as a child. The unfortunate accident he had as a child. He caught his head in a mechanical rice picker. But fortunately there was an American missionary living close by who was actually a uh, skilled uh, plastic surgeon in civilian life. All right, all right. Drop those bundles and put your hands on that wall there. Come on. Oh, how careless of your wife to let you go out that way. What? Oh, yes, it's quite untidy here. Let me help you. And Spock nerve pinches him, too. Boy, they're betting a thousand with, the, with everybody today, aren't they? a basement to get away from the police. You were actually enjoying my predicament back there. At times, you seem quite human. I hardly believe that insults are within your prerogative as my commanding officer. Sorry. Time we face the unpleasant facts. First... I believe we have about a week before McCoy arrives, but we can't be certain. Arrived where? Honolulu, Boise, San Diego? Why not outer Mongolia for that matter? There's a theory. There could be some logic to the belief that time is fluid, like a river with currents, eddies, backwash. And the same currents that swept McCoy to a certain time and place might sweep us there too. Yes, that is true, Captain. We have no hope. Frustrating. 
Locked in here is the exact place and moment of his arrival. Even the images of what he did. If only I could tie this tricorder in with the ship's computers for just a few moments. Couldn't you build some form of computer aid here? In this zinc-plated, vacuum-tubed <laughs> culture. That's one that would pose an extremely complex problem in logic, Mr. Spock. Excuse me. I sometimes expect too much of you. Who's there? Excuse us, miss. We didn't mean to trespass. It's cold outside. And lie is a very poor way to say hello. It isn't that cold. She's got it in there. No. Right? We were being chased by a policeman. Why? These clothes. We stole them. We didn't have any money. I could do with some help around here. Uh, doing dishes, sweeping, general cleaning. At what rate of payment? I need radio tubes and so forth, my hobby. Fifteen cents an hour for ten hours a day. What do you... So I know something in that light. Looks like Spock's kind of like pale. Right. Like a pale green compared to normal. Maybe they got his makeup wrong that day. I'm not sure, but... I just noticed that. I've never noticed it before because I always thought he looked good, but I remember I watched it on old, like, tube TVs, the old CRT TVs. I'm watching it on this for the first time in a while, and, yeah, I just noticed it. Names? Mine's Jim Kirk. His is... Spock. <laughs> Spock. I'm Edith Keeler. Well, you can start by cleaning up down here. Excuse me, miss. Where are we? You're in the 21st Street Mission. So the 21st do you Street run this place? Indeed I do, Mr. That is correct. Okay. Uh, let me open this up, because I forgot to open this one up. I opened up either either, but not this one. So, go away. Um, the 21st Street Mission was a homeless shelter organized and run by Edith Keeler around the time of the Great Depression in New York City. In the United States of America! On Earth! Yay. Like as if I couldn't figure that out for myself. But we're gonna go with it! <laughs> Here, men left homeless and out of luck by the economic upheaval of that era could find food and shelter in exchange for listening to Edith Keeler's commentary generally. This considered of pleas to keep Fighting and living because she foresaw a better world in which men would care for each other. Which she's not exactly wrong. Right. You know. So. And Edith Keeler herself. I, I can tell you how she died because I know, but we're going to find out if she does die or not. Right. Um, I mean, eventually everybody dies. You know. Exactly. Unfortunately, it is a way of life. Um, it says here, Kirk and Spock on the city of Edgar. Okay. It says, Sister Edith Keeler. Sister Edith That's Keeler. Was a female humane society worker in New York City uh, in the 20th century. 
1930, she ran a kitchen soup out of the 20th Century Mission. Known for her compassion and forward thinking, she sought to bring peace to an entire planet that same year. And that's all I'm going to read because I'm not going to read no more. Okay. <laughs> I'm trying to keep everybody on the their edge of their seat suspense. Right. Especially if nobody has seen it like you saw it with me, but like Brilliant. you didn't know. Right. You can spoil it if you want to, but I'm not going to. No. I'm not going to be labeled a bad guy this time. Right. <laughs> so, I approve of hobbies, Mr. Spark. Now they're in the dining area getting some food. They, if I, I know it's a soup kitchen, they had very limited supplies. But if that was a soup, like a ham soup, for example, Spock is a vegetarian because of the Vulcan way. He'd be eating meat. Right. He'd be basically a hypocrite. But if you think about it long enough, because if they succeed in their mission, which we all know because they're the main characters, they will succeed, as the all heroes do. Right? right. Um, basically, it would be like it never happened. But at the same time, it would be like it happened. So it's kind of a wishy-washy kind of thing, time travel is. Right. You sorry. What? You expect to eat for free or something? You gotta listen to Goody Two-Shoes. And now, as I'm sure that somebody out there has said, it's time to pay for the soup. Not that she's a bad-looking broad, but uh, she really wanted to help out a fella in need. Shut up. Shut up. I want to hear what you... That homeless man right there that Kirk just told to shut up? Do you recognize him? Uh, no. Who is the first person McCoy sees in a little bit? I don't remember. A homeless man. That man. Oh, okay. I just put two and two together. I saw his face. I'm like, wait a second. I recognize him. Right. <laughs> I didn't realize that until now. So he called Kirk a goody two-shoes. And then starts to talk about how Edith Keeler isn't a bad-looking broad. Gets told to shut up by Kirk. And then later kills himself by incineration with a phaser. Gotcha. I know. I just gave that away. I'm sorry. I was just so excited. Yes, sir. Yes, of course, Captain. Now, let's start by getting one thing straight. I'm not a do-gooder. If you're a bum, if you can't break off with a booze or whatever it is that makes you a bad risk, then get out. Now, I don't pretend to tell you how to find happiness in love when every day is just a struggle to survive. But I do insist that you do survive. 
because the days and the years ahead are worth living for. One day soon, man is going to be able to harness incredible energies, maybe even the atom, energies that could ultimately hurl us to other worlds in, in some sort of spaceship. And the men that reach out into space will be able to find ways to feed the hungry millions of the world and to cure their diseases. They will be able to find a way to give each man hope and a common future. And those are the days worth living for. Development of atomic power is years away. Space flight years after that. Speculation. Gifted insight. I find her most uncommon, Mr. Spock. like it's been scrubbed and polished. Then we can report back for other work. Yes, seven o'clock in the morning. Do you have a flop for the night? What? <laughs> you really are new at this, aren't you? A flop is a place to sleep. So a, a flop back then, because they use a lot of different words, like a sawbuck was a 20. Right. So a flop back then was slang for an apartment, which we're in a duplex, so it's not really an apartment, but it is. Right. You know. Oh. So we have a flop. Well, there's a vacant room at the place where I live for two dollars a week. If you want to, I'll take you there. Kurt's falling in love. We have a flop. Because... We have a what, Captain? A place to sleep. They have to further the plot. You want the plot to go further, right? Sure. I, I I know you've already seen it. Now it's basically like, let's get this over with. But for the rest of the audience who is listening, who may not have ever seen the original series, we want to make sure that we drag the plot along to fill an entire 30 minutes of television. Right. Sorry. You're okay. Of course, without commercials, so about 26 minutes or so. Right. I might have said so in the first place. I must have some platinum. A small block would be sufficient, five or six pounds. By passing certain circuits through there to be used as a duodynetic field core. Now, Mr. Spark, I've brought you some assorted vegetables, bologna and a hard roll for myself, and I've spent the other nine-tenths of our combined salaries for the last three days on filling this order for you. Mr. Spark, this bag does not contain platinum, silver, or gold, nor is it likely to in the near future. Captain, 
You're asking me to work with equipment which is hardly very far ahead of stone knives and bearskins. McCoy will be along in a few days. Perhaps soon. There's no guarantee that these currents in time will bring us together. This has to work, Captain. Captain, in three weeks at this rate, possibly a month, I might reach the first mnemonic memory circuits. If you can leave right away, I can get you five hours work at 22 cents an hour. Back then? So she said things like, um, when they first met her, she was going to pay them 15 cents an hour for chores. Um, she just said there that she found them a job for 22 cents an hour. Mm-hmm. Back then... That was like being rich. That was like having a $25 an hour job. Right. What, what on earth is that? I am endeavoring, ma'am, to construct... Although I'm pretty sure you could have found jobs that were paying more than that. Just depending on what the job was. Right. A mnemonic memory circuit using stone knives and bearskins. <laughs> Working on a cuckoo clock in a chair. Right. My grandparents actually had a cuckoo clock at one time. I I know that we inherited it. I don't know whatever happened to it after that, though. Captain. Tools for finely detailed work. was locked with a combination lock and you opened it like a real pro why did you do it i needed the fine tools for my radio work they'd have been returned in the morning oh, i'm sorry I if mr spark says that he needs the tools and that they'd be returned tomorrow morning you can bet your reputation on that miss keeler questions I'd like to ask about you two. Do, do, do. Oh, and don't give me that. Questions about little old us, look. You know as well as I do how out of place you two are around here. Interesting. Where would you estimate we belong, Miss Keeler? You? At his side. As if you've always been there and always will. And you. You belong in another place. Well, how? I'll figure it out eventually. I'll finish with the furnace. Quick, she's on to him. Right. 
even when he doesn't say it, he does. So one thing I do know about that era is there was three different types of furnaces you could have. You had coal, like what uh, Spock is doing. Okay, I take that back, there's four, but basically okay. the coal and the wood burning stoves are both the same. Right. Granted, one uses coal, one uses wood, blah, blah, blah. I know they're not exactly the same, but they work the exact same. Then you had your oil-fed ones, where it would run off of used oil. Right. And then the third and final one was natural gas. Still is today. Um, I've seen a couple of homes out there that still use oil-burning stoves, but they're few and far between because everybody upgrades because it was actually kind of unsafe. So is natural gas, but natural gas is a little more safe. Gotcha. And we have a natural gas heater. Right. Um, so, yeah, it all depends on the... Where, where you were and how much money you had to spend before the Great Depression actually hit. So. Tonight, sweetheart, though I'm not beside you, good night, sweetheart, still my love will guide you. Dream. Why does Spark call you captain? Were you in the war together? We served together. And you, um, don't want to talk about it? Why? Did you, did you do something wrong? Are you afraid of something? Whatever it is, let me help. Let me help. A hundred years or so from now, I believe, a famous novelist will write a classic using that theme. He'll recommend those three words, even over, I love you. Centuries from now. Who is he? Where does he come from? Um, where will he come from? Silly question. Want to hear a silly answer? Yes. A planet circling that far left star in Orion's belt. See? just pulled up a obituary with Keeler's picture on it, and now it's gone. How the stone knives and bearskins? I may have found our focal point in time. I think you may also find you have a Connection burning someplace. Yes, I'm overloading those lines. I believe we'll have our answer on this screen, Captain. Good. And, Captain, you may find this a bit distressing. Huh? Let's see what you have. I've slowed down the recording we made from the time vortex. February 23rd, 1936. Six years from now. President and Edith Keeler. 
conferred for some time today. Bob just lost everything. How bad? Bad enough. It would seem unlikely, Jim. A few moments ago, I read a 1930 newspaper article. We know her future. Within six years from now, she'll become very important, nationally famous. Or, Captain, Edith Keeler will die this year. Bum, bum, bum. I saw her obituary. sort of traffic accident. You must be mistaken. They both can't be true. Captain Edith Keeler is the focal point in time we've been looking for. The point in time that both we and Dr. McCoy have been drawn to. She has two possible futures then. And depending on whether she lives or dies, all of history will be changed. And McCoy, is the random element. In his condition, what does he do? Does he kill her? Or perhaps he prevents her from being killed. We don't know which. Get this thing fixed. We must find out before McCoy arrives. Captain, suppose we discover that in order to set things straight again, Edith Keeler must die. Assassins. Right. <laughs> yeah, you're yelling at this homeless bum. Don't run! I won't kill you! Right? <laughs> that would make me want to run. Funny about man reaching for the moon. How do you know? I just know, that's all. I, I feel it. And more. I think that one day they're going to take all the money that they spend now on war and death. And make them spend it on what? Yes. 
I do. We speak the same language. And you notice how she just said, you see the same things I do. You speak the same language. Right. No. But she doesn't know this. But no, he's actually knows it because he had to learn it in school. Right. Whereas it hasn't happened yet for her. Right. The very same. I'm glad you got away too. Yeah, I, I... Why do you think they want to kill us? Look, fella, you, you, you take a, a sip too much of that old wood alky and, and, and almost anything seems like it... Where? Where are we? Earth? Constellations seem right, but... Explain! Explain this trick! I... I... of 30 hours work in fused and burned circuits. I must know whether she lives or dies, Mark. I must know what to do.
looks like hell. Guess who he finds? A mess. Keeler. Edith Keeler. That coffee, it just smells wonderful. You look terrible. I gotta keep moving. I can't let them find me. Oh, there's a cot in the back room. Look, they won't find you there. Come on. And then, that's as she walks away with McCoy, Spock walks by right. behind the counter. Not even knowing that McCoy was just there. how history went after McCoy changed it. Here, in the late 1930s, a growing pacifist movement whose influence delayed the United States entry into the Second World War. While peace negotiations dragged on, Germany had time to complete its heavy water experiments. Germany. Fascism. Hitler. One Second World War. Because all this lets them develop the A-bomb first. There's no mistake, Captain. Let me run it again. Edith Keeler, founder of the peace movement. But she was right. Peace was the way. She was right, but at the wrong time. With the A-bomb and with their V-2 rockets to carry them, Germany captured the world. Oh. All this because McCoy came back and somehow kept her from dying in a street accident as she was meant to. We must stop him, Jim. How did she die? What day? You can estimate general happenings from these images, but I can't trace down precise actions at exact moments, Captain. I'm in love with Edith Keeler. Jim, Edith Keeler must die. So what they were talking about, about the whole uh, B-2 rockets. Right. So what it is, is uh, Germany was experimenting with what they called heavy water or deuterium oxide was an essential compound for the successful production of an atomic bomb. Heavy water was the key material needed for Adolf Hitler of Nazi Germany uh, to build an atomic bomb. However, he, he was prevented from finishing the bomb after the production facility from finishing the bomb after the production facility it was being built and was raided by British forces in 1942. Right. In the altered timeline created by the continuing lives of uh, continuing li continued living of Edith Keeler, Germany was permitted to complete its heavy water experiments, causing them to be the first in developing of the atomic bomb. This together will with the V2 rockets enable Germany to capture the world, ultimately er erasing the federation. Gotcha. 
president at the time was a Franklin Delano Roosevelt, also known as FDR. Right. Um, who served as president before and during World War II. So it says here, after Jonathan Archer restored the damage timeline, Franklin Delano Roosevelt gave a speech, giving a speech could be seen in the timeline stream as the timeline realigned itself in Storefront Part 2. Gotcha. In an alternate timeline, Leonard McCoy saved Edith Keeler from dying. Well, we already know she's got to die now. Right. So, we, we're already there. Allowing her to continue surviving for her go goals of peace and eventually founding one of the largest peace movements in the United States of America, her actions finally attracted the attention of Pre the President Roosevelt, with whom she met on February 23, 1936, to confer on her plans of action for assisting the needy. But Franklin Delano Roosevelt was a, a good president. Right. Okay, now come on. I'm not ready to take on any tigers just yet, my The most common question to ask would be, where am I? I don't think I'll ask it. Why not? The only possible answer would conclusively prove that I'm either unconscious or demented. This looks like old Earth around 1920 or 25. Would you care to try for 30? I am unconscious or demented. I have a friend that talks about Earth the same way that you do. Would you like to meet him? I'm a surgeon, not a psychiatrist. Another one of his sayings. I'm a surgeon, not a psychiatrist. Right. I am Leonard McCoy, senior medical officer aboard the USS Enterprise. I don't mean to disbelieve you, but that's hardly a Navy uniform. It's quite all right. It's quite all right, dear. Because I don't believe in you either. <laughs> Get some rest. Poor Edith. She knows nothing of what's going on.
did not plan to eavesdrop. No, of course you didn't. I must point out that when she stumbled, she might have died right there had you not caught her. It's not yet time. McCoy isn't here. We're not that sure of our facts. Who's to say when the exact time will come? Save her. Do as your heart tells you to do. And millions will die who did not die before. No better words spoken by Spock. Right. Come in. Well, you look just fine, Doctor. Thank you. I thought you um, might like to see the evening paper. No, not particularly. And I've convinced myself that this is all in a quadracene hallucination. But I've decided you're not. That's reassuring. But if you're not, what are you? A friend. When you showed up here, you looked like you could use one. No, I don't doubt it. What about this place? Uh, you run it? I try to. <laughs> Why? It's necessary. Well, it was for me, at least. You may have saved my life. Lots of people drink from the wrong bottle sometimes. <laughs> Not as wrong as the bottle I drank from. Allow me to show my gratitude. Perhaps there's something I can do around here to thank you. Oh. We can talk about that later. I have to go. My young man is taking me to a Clark Gable movie. A who movie? A Clark a Gable movie. Don't you know? Well, I know what a movie is, but... That's very strange. Get some rest. I'll see you later. So as soon as my computer decides to, to work here, I'm trying to look up Clark Gable. I've heard his name so many times in the past. I know he was a movie star, but I don't exactly remember what all he's been in. You know? Right. I can't pull it up on my computer. I'll pull it up on my phone. Ha ha. William Clark Gable was an American film actor often referred to as the King of Hollywood. He had roles in more than 60 motion pictures in multiple genres during a career that lasted 37 years, three, three decades of which was as the, a leading man. He was born February 1st, 1901, and he passed away November 16th of 1960. All right. He was six foot one. Gotcha. What? You know, Dr. McCoy said the same McCoy. thing. McCoy! Leonard McCoy? Yes. Leonard McCoy? He's in the mission. He's Stay right here. Spock! 
Season 1, episode 28. Uh, City on the Edge of Forever. So, what do you think of this one? I like it. So now, the question is, is, what do you give this one for a rating? I gave this one a 6.5. Okay, 6.5. Good on ya. So, I'm going to have to give it a 7, because it does come back in a future episode. Right. So, who do you think this episode hinged on? Spock, Kirk, Dr. McCoy, Edith, well, the mission, because that was a, where they were at. The mission is an object, not a person. Well, it's still hinged on the mission. Not really, because you could have made it anything else, a hotel. No, not really. And it would have worked. Actually, you could have. No. Yes. <laughs> Who else did it hinge on? Um, Scotty. Right. And Edith. Grace said Edith. Okay. How about Uhura? No. How about Sulu? Not really, because they were only no, uh, uh, for a minute. No, actually, Uhura was in it towards the end, too. She was down on the planet and everything. Sulu, however was the initial cause for what happened to McCoy. Without Sulu getting hurt, that wouldn't have prompted McCoy getting hurt. So you have to have Sulu in there for that. Right. So, anything else? No. 
Okay, well, I guess until next time, I'm William. And I'm Vicky. And we will catch you in the next mission. Bye!